Most of you in the room have probably heard of the song Amazing Grace, right? How many of you have heard the song Amazing Grace? How many of you in the room, if you had to, not that we want you to, but you could sing a few words of Amazing Grace? How many could get at least 10 or 15 words of Amazing Grace? It's a great song, isn't it? And the reason we like that song is because we all need grace. We all know that we need grace. We know where we are and where the righteousness of God is. We know there's a gap, and we all feel it. And so every one of us in this room, we have our own grace story. Now, what's interesting to me about that song is John Newton wasn't a very good guy. The guy who wrote that song, he was a slave trader. He abused slaves. He was a vile man. He was a proud man. Um, He got arrested several times, got coerced into different ships and boats and things. And, And it was during an actual thunderstorm where he actually gave his life to Christ. And after he gave his life to Christ, he realized the gap was huge. And so between where he was and the righteousness of God, he realized that he needed grace. We all have a grace story. We all watched a grace story this past week from the church in Charleston, South Carolina. Outside of church world, being able to say to a young man who kills nine other people, to be able to say, not that we trust you, not that we like you, justice needs to be served, but we forgive you, that makes no sense outside of church world. Inside of church world, it makes perfect sense because we've all been forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, who are we not to forgive? Doesn't mean we like, doesn't mean we trust, doesn't mean we won't get the death penalty, but, but who are we not to forgive? And so all of us in this room who are Christians, we understand grace. But when Jesus came on the scene and he began teaching grace, nobody got it. There there was no grace. There was the law. There were the rules. You kept the, 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 uh, the, the feasts. You kept the festivals. You did everything. And, and then you worked harder. And if that wasn't enough, you worked even harder. And that wasn't enough, you worked even harder. Nobody understood grace. And so here comes Jesus. And Jesus starts proclaiming a word of grace to all the people. And I don't think anybody got it. I, I really don't. I think they were all scratching their heads trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about because we understand the law and we understand the rules. Now, isn't that what you don't like about religion? And isn't that what you've got friends and family, the reason they don't go to church is because they don't like and they don't understand man-made religion? I was filling up my boat this past week with gas and I was at the gas pumps by myself with this young lady I've gotten to know her now two or three times. She's probably 17, 18 years old. And so I'm, I needed lots of gas, so I was filling up for quite a while. And she said to me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm actually a preacher. I don't look like i got my board shorts on. I'm half naked, you know, on my flip-flops, you know. And, and so I said, I'm actually a preacher. And that moment, she looked down and she went, oh. That's not good. It's not good for dialogue. And the communication was over at that moment. 
And so I go, you know what? I've been, this dog won't hunt. I'm going to pry this open a little bit. I'm buying the gas. She has to stand there, okay? And so I said, um, do you go to church? Do you have a background? She said, no, I don't. I don't. Do you have, did you grow up in church? Do you have a faith? She said, no, no I really don't. She said, my mother last year joined, and I won't mention it, but it's a cult. My mother joined this, and she said, because I told my mom I don't believe what she believes, my mother kicked me out of the house. She's got to be kicked out at 16 or 16 and a half. And so I said to her, now she's not looked up from this whole time. Now she's looked down the last three or four minutes. No eye contact whatsoever. And so I said to her, I said, you know what? I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus is great. Jesus was the greatest person that ever lived. I don't like religion either. Religion, you know, has hurt you, hurt people, bad things. But I said, Jesus has never hurt you. Jesus is never going to hurt you. And if you want to know more about Jesus, I'm your guy. I'll answer questions for you. I'll just listen to you. I won't try to convert you. I won't put pressure on you. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, I'm your guy. Four minutes have gone by. I need lots of fuel, okay? Four. <laughs> For the first time, she looks up and she looks into my eyes as if to say, can I trust you? Will you really teach me about Jesus and not put pressure on me? You see, what we love about Jesus is his grace. What we despise about religion are all these man-made things that have come up, come up. And so what Jesus is doing on, on this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching a whole new philosophy of grace. I'm going to be graceful. My Heavenly Father's going to be graceful. But in the midst of this, Jesus does a timeout. And the timeout is he, resur- he circles back to explain what he's ta- really trying to talk about. Because they're not going to understand, well, maybe Jesus is against all the stuff that's happened. Maybe he's against all the festivals. Maybe he's against the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's a- and Jesus is going, I'm not against all that. That system had a place. That was a tutor. That was to lead you to the Messiah. I'm not against all that. There's just something better. But for today, Jesus does a timeout. And he explains that he's not against the Old Testament. It just didn't fulfill where he's going. So listen to what Jesus says today in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read this section, then we're going to go back and we're going to extrapolate it. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He's been preaching on grace, grace, grace. Nobody's getting it. Nobody really understands it. He does a big timeout. Do not think, they are thinking this, it's exactly what they're thinking, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, they're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But... Whoever practices and teaches these commands, they will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They're going, what? That's all the scribes and the Pharisees do is practice the religion. We got to be better than them. I'm the milkman for crying out loud. I can't read the, I'm the butcher. I don't, I'm the farmer. I don't have time for this. And so Jesus then begins to explain what he's talking about. Let's go back to verse 17. 
I just want to camp out on this one little verse for a few minutes. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. Now, when a 13-year-old Jewish boy heard the word law, he has two concepts in mind. Number one, the Ten Commandments. Number two, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. So when, when a Jewish boy hears about the law, he's thinking about the Ten Commandments and the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. When you see the word prophets... They're thinking about Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Amos and Jonah and Nahum. They're thinking about all the prophets. We haven't got time to talk about all that today. We'll be here for three Father's Days, okay? So let's just camp out on one little concept, and that would be the law, and that's just the Ten Commandments. Jesus is saying, I have come to fulfill the Ten Commandments. I have come to teach you some principles about the Ten Commandments. Now look at this next slide. The Ten Commandments are great principles out of which we find application for life. If you were to read the Old Testament for the very first time, you've never read the Old Testament, here's what you would find. You would find amazing principles. You would not find a lot of rules and regulations. God in the Old Testament has these giant principles And then there are some rules and regulations, but generally there are giant principles. And so the Jewish people said, you know what? That's not good enough. These principles, they're they're not enough. And so a group of people just decided they had their own job description. They self-appointed themselves to be called scribes. And these scribes then came on the scene. Nobody gave them this job. God didn't give them this job. But the scribes then came on the scene, and they put rules and regulations to every principle. You name the principle, they put rules and regulations. They were scribes. And this is what was known as the oral law. And Jesus always broke the oral law. It ticked him off. Why do you and your disciples not wash your hands before you eat? Why do you work on the Sabbath? Jesus never broke the law of Moses, but he always looked for ways, I think, to purposely break the oral law because the oral law was by the scribes. Let me give you just one example. One example would be the principle of don't work on the Sabbath. They said, well, that's not good enough. We need to know what does that mean? What does working on the Sabbath mean? And so the scribes then literally came up with thousands of rules about working on the Sabbath. If your child is sick, you can do this, you can't do this. If you're, you know, your, your horse falls into a ditch, you can do this, you can't do this. If you get a cut, you can have one bandage, but you can't have two bandages. If you knock over the lamp you know, with a candle on it, you can only pick the lamp up. I mean, there's, there's over 2,000 rules just on that one principle. And that's what Jesus was, was against. And so what he's trying to tell everybody is, I haven't come to abolish the law of the prophets, Look at Matthew 5, 17 again. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And so how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus go about fulfilling the principles? Now, that's what I want you to catch this morning. There are principles that apply to your life. There are principles that apply to your context. There are principles that apply to your work force, to your work environment, to your neighborhood. There are these giant principles. And I love the brilliancy of our Heavenly Father because these principles are meant for you then to figure out how they apply into your life. So let's just look at the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the Ten. Let's go through that. So what what are the principles here? Well, when there's no other gods... But me, 
What's he saying? Jesus is saying, there, there are no gods of the Amorites. There are no gods of the Hittites. There are no gods of the Jebusites. How does that apply today? There, there is no Allah. Allah doesn't exist. There is no Allah. Buddhism, Hinduism, Hinduism claims 330 million gods. There aren't 330 million gods. There's one God. And so Jesus is showing that there are not multiple gods. There's only one particular God. There, there's, there's not to be any idols. Why would anybody worship a statue of Buddha? Somebody explain that to me. Somebody needs to be a lot smarter than I am to, to tell me why. Why would anybody worship a dead piece of stone or a dead piece of wood? The whole concept here about Jesus, I didn't come to abolish the law, but let me tell you the principle about honoring his name. Ever notice that the only name that ever gets slandered when somebody's mad or somebody up, is upset is, oh, Jesus? How come never, nobody ever says, like, Oh, Betty. <laughs> or, oh, Josephine. or I, I, no, Nobody ever does that. Why? Because it's out of resistance and rebellion to, to, the, to the Heavenly Father. He's got a name that's above all names. His name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. His name is Adonai. His name is El Elyon. His name is El Shaddai. He's got a name above every name, and that name is to be honored. That's the principle that Jesus is teaching us. You know what the principle is about the Sabbath? <laughs> the principle really isn't even about work. The principle was about trust. All the other nations work seven days a week to eat for seven days. But if you will work six days and trust me, I will provide for you. The whole concept about remember the Sabbath, it's about trust. Will you trust your heavenly Father? And will you take a day to honor him and to worship? It's not about really work. It's about trusting him. Will you honor your father and your mother? Man, that's a great way because God and Jesus knew that the family unit was the key to any society. And, and, and so then it got the things about, you know, even adultery fixed about with marriage. So the family unit, but what if, here's the principle, what if your father or a father is molesting one of the daughters in the house? Or what if your mother is just evil? You see, this is a principle. He's trying to teach a principle that, that homes need to be great and, and students and kids need to look up to their parents. He's not talking about somebody that's molesting somebody. He's not talking about a mother that's just wicked and evil, is he? He says, no, no murder. What's the principle there? Life's important. Human life is absolutely important. There, there's not to be abortion. We're, we're, we're pro-life. We as God's people, we love life. What's the concept about, about adultery? It's not just don't, you know, have sex with somebody else. It's about the whole concept of the sanctity of marriage, the unity of, of this, the sanctity of this unity. It's about, it's about how valuable a man and a woman are. It's a mystery, but they're just like Christ in the church. Stealing? The principle of stealing? I mean, why would we steal from each other? We're in this together. Why wouldn't we all just help each other? And, and Jesus did this. No lying, no, no coveting. It, it, it just, it's the principles that Jesus is trying to teach you and trying to teach me. And so drop down two more verses to chapter 5, verse 19. And he's trying to teach us. 
that we're supposed to help people with these principles. You want to know how this applies to your life? It's verse 19. If you're not, if you're not awake yet, wake up and read verse 19. This, this is your verse. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these, least of these commands and teaches others accordingly. Now, Jesus is talking about the law of Moses. He's not talking about the oral law. Jesus broke the oral law every chance he got, okay? He's talking about the law of Moses. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that what we want? We're to teach these principles. Now, here's how this applies today. Looking through the Bible, it's principle after principle after principle. You look at the, the principles of relationships. The Bible is complete. Here's how you honor one another. Here's how you pray for one another. Here's how you love one another. Here's how you carry one another's burdens. Here's what you don't do. You don't do this. You don't do this. You don't do this. The Bible has principle after principle after principle about marriage, about singleness relationships, about parenting. It has all these different principles. It has all these amazing principles about faith. If you have faith like a mustard seed, or Paul talks about if you will only, you know, everybody has a measure of faith. It's about faith and faith and faith. Think about money for just a minute. You ever think about money in your daily life? Okay. Think about all the principles. There are more principles about money in the Bible than just about any other principle. The Bible tells you how to earn money. It's a principle. How to save money. It's a principle. How do you like to spend money? How to spend money. Anybody like to spend money? No, no elbow on each other in the room. Okay. Tells you how to give money. Tells you how to invest money. Principle after principle after principle. It, it tells us about character. It's about character, character, character. The Bible is filled with principles. Now, this is one of the reasons why I love being your pastor. There's several reasons. But honestly, one of the reasons I love being your pastor is I get to teach really smart people every Sunday. And I love that about you. I love the fact that I get to speak to one of the brightest, most intelligent congregations in the entire world. And I love the fact that you come today to think. And and if if you're one of these people that you want to be spoon-fed and you want a pastor that's going to spoon-feed you everything, you've come to the wrong church. I'm not going to spoon feed you. I want to give you principles because that's what Jesus does. That's what your father does because it's your journey. It's your discovery. It's your growth. It's you engaged in this, and that's what's going to change you forever. And so I love the fact that this is a smart congregation. You want to understand the pre- I'm just kind of guiding you, getting you on the right road, maybe the right mile marker, whatever. But, but, but you then discover the greatness of your Heavenly Father. And so I'm going to say everything I've kind of just said again in a different way. Are you still with me? Okay, because you're smart, okay? <laughs> so look at the Ten Commandments again. Look at these Ten Commandments. Now, look at how Jesus does this. So, no, no other gods worship the Lord your God only. I've just abbreviated these. Just, but the very first one. So, he's being tempted by Satan. And he's on the pinnacle of the temple. And old Slewfoot, Lucifer's got him up there. And he just said, you know what? Just, just jump off. If you just jump off and just bow down and worship me, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you these kingdoms. And Jesus is like, here's the principle. Are you kidding me? You got cheesy kingdoms, bro. I'm not about to jump off of your kingdoms. I'm the king of the heaven and the king of the earth. 
And Jesus says, no, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. No idols or no graven images. Just before that, he tried another trick. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You're probably pretty hungry. How about you take these stones and you make them into bread? Jesus is going, are you kidding? I'm not going to do that. It is written. There's the principle. It is written. Man does not live by bread alone. What about honor his name? The principle. Notice throughout scriptures, when they're having dialogue with Jesus, Jesus would say, the Father and I are working. The Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. Every time you see the principle of how the Son is honoring the Father. I, I love what Jesus did on the Sabbath. He looked for ways to break the oral law every chance he got. I think he did. And Jesus said this. He said, man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And so he, he understood that you don't let the rule ruin you. You let the principle guide you. Honor your father and your mother in the Garden of Gethsemane with his father shortly before he was arrested. Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. It wasn't possible. He said, okay, I'll go to the cross. And on the cross, some of his last dying words were, John, behold your mother. Mom, mom, he's dying. Mom, behold your son. What did he mean? From this point on, there's a transference. And I'm giving you, John, responsibility for my mom. And mom, I'm giving you into my, my, my partner's, my son, my partner's hands, John. You talk about honoring your father and your mother. It's a principle. Every time we see Jesus, he is honoring. No, uh, no murder. I think it's kind of a funny story. They come to arrest Jesus. Old Peter takes a small sword and whacks off old Malchus's ear. The ear falls into the dirt or the mud. Jesus picks the ear up out of the mud, puts it back on the guy's head, and there's no infection and there's no stitches, and nobody really seems to get that. Isn't that kind of weird to some? It's a weird story. We've come to arrest him. He just heals the guy. And then Jesus says, I could have called 10,000 angels. Do you think there are not these legions of angels at my disposal? He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to show us how to fulfill it. Not even his enemies ever accused Jesus of any kind of sexual disgrace. There was never a, any hint of sexual impropriety in Jesus Christ's life. No stealing. He's not going to steal. He paid taxes when he didn't even need to. Remember the whole fish story? They took some coins out of the fish. No lying. Jesus didn't lie. And the whole coveting thing is kind of funny to me. When you're the owner, the designer, and the maker of the world, what, what is there to covet? I mean, you made it all. It's, all. it's all yours. And so we teach people these principles. These are the principles then from Scripture that apply to your life and apply to my life. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us an 11th commandment. He gives us the commandment number 11 out of John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. That's a principle. That principle covers all the Ten Commandments. That principle covers all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That principle covers all of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Malachi, whatever book. That, that principle covers it all. That you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if 
you have love for one another. And so we begin to recognize then that in our Christian journey, how do we help other people love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do we kind of steer people away from worshiping idols or graven images? How do we help people to understand that His name, His name is the only name. His name is the most unique. How do we help people with a little bit of rest? Studies are showing that if you rest a day, you're actually more productive and you get more done than if you worked seven days. But the point is trust. How do we help people trust their Heavenly Father? And how do we help people with, with, with honoring their parents and the context for that? How do we help people to value life and to value marriage? How do we come alongside of each other in your jobs and your businesses and your schools and we pray for each other's deals and we pray for each other's contracts and we pray for each other's jobs and, and we just get healthier and stronger and stronger? That's what he's talking about. Those are the principles that, he, that are involved. And why would we covet? Well, I might covet your boat, but why would we covet, okay? Why would we covet? Why wouldn't we rejoice with what you have and, and share, share with each other? Why would we ever lie? We're, we're in, we need each other. We're in this together. We, we won't lie to each other. We don't bear false witnesses. We, we bear each other's burdens and we help each other. So here's Jesus, and he's come to fulfill this law. And so he became the sacrificial lamb. He became the lamb of God. He became the one who took all our sins and he nailed our laundry list of sins on a cross. And because he shed his blood for you and shed his blood for me, it was amazing grace. Amazing grace is now your opportunity. And so if you're not a Christian, you know there's a gap. There's a gap between how hard you try and the righteousness of God. You can try harder and be more self-disciplined, but you'll never get there. And you know that. You already feel that. It's not news to you. You know that. And so step one is to give your life to Christ. But, but, but step two is, is to grasp these principles and to ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal to us how they apply to us and how we can use them in every day of our life. Now, here's what's interesting about John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. I told you he wasn't a very good guy. He was a slave trader, did some really bad things. But he gave his life to Christ and after that, he wrote 280 hymns. That's a lot of hymns, isn't it? And so this is the most famous one that he wrote, Amazing Grace. But about the next five or six years, he actually went to seminary and became an Anglican pastor. And even though he lived a very checkered life, from the point that he gave his life to Christ, it was slow, but it was steady. And he then began to live for Jesus Christ every single way that he could. And so, guys, in this room, men, um, God loves you. God wants to do life with you. God cares about your past, but he's not going to let your past prevent you from greatness with him. And so we take these principles of the scriptures and we apply them to our contexts and we then live a life that's pleasing to him. Now imagine if the rest of your life you're sold out for God. 
Imagine if the rest of your life, you're all in and you lean in. Imagine how your life would be different and you would live differently if you gave Christ soul ownership of your heart, mind, will, and emotions. That's what he's doing. That's what he's asking for in this great Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to ask all the males in this room, you may have kids, you may not have kids, but all the men to stand up. I want to ask all the men to stand up. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your leadership. I want to pray for your character. I want to pray for your health. I want to pray for your future. Look at all the men in this room. This is cool. This is really cool. Uh, I want to pray that you embrace your God-given destiny and you live it to the fullest extent. Let's, Let's pray together. Father, I pray over all the men in this room. I thank you for these guys. I pray physical blessings. I pray spiritual blessings. I pray health over them. I pray that if there's a man in this room that just feels like such a failure, I pray that today you'll fill him with grace. If there's a man in this room today that feels like he can't continue on with his job or his life or his marriage or being a parent, I pray you give him tenacity and perseverance. I pray, Father God, for all the men in this room that are hurting. I pray that you fill them up with your grace. You fill up the gaps in their lives. I pray that all the men in this room will recognize that we are deeply and dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. And that you, Jesus, you fulfilled the law on the cross, yes, but also with your example and your lifestyle. Give us our sense of destiny. Give us that insight into who we are to become and who, what we are to do. And Father God, give us courage. Let us be strong and courageous, as we read earlier during communion. Thank you, God. I thank you for these men. I thank you for their future. I thank you for how you are using them, and you will continue to use them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.